Radio. I am your host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks, Lori LeBay. I'm also a daughter who had a mother who lived with this disease for 30 years. And that's why we gather here is to help people connect to services, products, and tools that they need because I know the frustration. I was there. And so I just love my job. Um, it, it is so much fun. For those of you that are new to our program and we're always getting new listeners, uh, bottom line, Alzheimer's Speaks is an advocacy-based program providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort around the world. We feel that you know, all of our services that we need and can tap into aren't in our backyard anymore, and we want to let you know about them. Um, we also help companies expand their brand footprint by leveraging our content in our platforms so that they can raise their presence um, within the Alzheimer's, dementia, and caregiving industry, which is, is growing so fast. I also, every show, have to thank our audience. You see, you guys are so loyal and so kind and so supportive. I couldn't do what I'm doing without you. Your likes, your clicks, your shares have expanded our reach so greatly. I never would have thought we had the footprint we had or the impact on lives. And so I appreciate every one of you being part of our community because Lord knows I'm not doing this alone. I was just one frustrated daughter that thought there's got to be a better way. And so thank you for following this path with me and helping explore all the, the magnificent opportunities services, products, and tools that are, are out there and available to us and, and sharing those connections with others because we never know who in our own family, circle of friends or colleagues or social media tribes are dealing with this because it still is something that is very much in the closet and we have to, we have to, we have to break through that barrier and get people to learn to live um, graciously with this like we have so many other diseases. Now, you can join the conversation today because we are live. Um, you can call into 323-870-4602. That's 323-870-4602. And I will pull you into the conversation. Um, or you can just listen that way, too, if your Internet is, is being a little funky. Now, before I introduce our guest, I do want to give a shout-out to a couple of companies that I adore, Calendar Cards. I am so indebted to them because they have a, um, management, or a memory management system that not only helps people, but they have so graciously put together memory cafe directories. And that has helped so many people here in the U.S., and now they're expanding to other countries. And you can go to memorycafedirectory.com to get more information. We now have over... 600 memory cafes in the U.S. that we know of. And you can get uh, a free listing there. Just go to memorycafedirectory.com. And don't forget to check out calendar cards while you're there, too. I also want to try to help lift up the Purple Table Reservations. They are an organization, again, like myself, touched by dementia, um, who is trying to educate restaurants to be more dementia friendly um, and not and it's it goes further than that it's post-traumatic stress it's autism it's anybody with um, a disability um, that they want to enable to continue to go out into the communities and you can learn more about their product their training system and their app to find a restaurant in your area by going to purpletables.com that's purple tables.com. Now, I need to introduce our guest today, and I am so excited because I actually just um, was introduced to this woman a little bit ago, and I, uh, after my conversation with her, I'm like, I have to get you on the radio, and I have to get you on now because she is so 
filled with passion and great information. Her name is Chrissy Barron, and she is a licensed social worker and a caregiver coach, supporting people through their journeys for the last 20 years. In fact, Chrissy is now caring for her own husband. She has dedicated her life at this point to help bridge the gap between professional care partners and family care partners by understanding the human experience and how we all as professionals, even with good intentions, are not always providing the support that the families deserve. And she wants to be able to enhance that journey. She's all about understanding the why things are happening when it comes to dementia, because it's so critical um, so that so that people diagnosed can live their lives well and that their care partners can also live a good, wonderful life um, as well. So, Chrissy, I am so excited to have you with us, and I can't wait for our conversation to start. So welcome today. How are you doing? Terrific. I'm excited to be here. Well, I am thrilled to have you. You, like I said, you... I uh, have so much passion, and I love I, I love my job because I get to talk with people all around the world that are just lighting things up, and they they're moving forward and breaking down barriers and um, and really helping those in need. And you so so get that. Um, I want to ask uh, you because I ask every every one of my um, guests this question, unless I forget myself. Um, but typically, I, I like to ask: Have you been personally touched by uh, dementia in your family or circle of friends or colleagues? Absolutely. Yep. So, um, not so much in my family, but friends, and also I I work in. Um, memory care units, um, supporting families through that, really one-on-one coaching in the home. So, um, you know, I'm seeing a lot of it and experiencing some of it. Let's just go with that. Okay. Sounds sounds good. Now, one of the things you do is you, you talk about changing the story of caregiving. And, and I'm all about that. I just think, you know, my tagline is, you know, shifting from crisis to comfort. Can you tell us what you what you believe and why you feel it's so important to change the storyline behind giving care? Absolutely. So um, my 20 years of experience um, assisting people through their journeys has taught me a lot, right? I mean, that it, it, taught, it teaches you so much. What I didn't realize is that there are so many things that we cannot even, we can't even begin to understand if we've never been through the journey. So why I'm doing this is because I think it can be different. I think it can be different in the sense that I've seen a lot of families live at the mercy of this disease and other diseases. Um, this disease in particular, I think it's the, um, dementia in particular, I think it's the, the ambiguousness of it, not knowing why things are happening. So one of the things that um, I'm a certified trainer and coach for Keep Us Know, um, and I believe in her because she puts a lot behind what's happening. I believe in her because she um, she focuses on what I have left instead of what I've lost. So when we look at caregiving, and, and really I've, I've come full circle in the care partnering piece of that, um, because... I'm just here to pick up where you leave off. That's what my job is. And so what I think from a caregiving perspective is I don't think it's like I've learned a whole bunch of answers to questions that people don't know how to ask. So changing the story of caregiving is helping me understand as both a professional and a family caregiver what I experience, why I think I what I do, why I feel like what I do, right? Because when I was on the outside looking in, I used to think, and you'll get a chuckle out of this, Lori, because you'll appreciate this. I used to think, wow, it must be so cool just to hang out at home all day and just, like, love this person and take care of this person and just do whatever you want to do. Now, you know as well as I do, that's not what it really is, right? Mm-hmm. So when you when you start experiencing what it really is, you start understanding how many stories that you make up in your head that, um, 
that don't help you, that don't serve you, um, it, it actually hinders you. But until we understand as family caregivers that, uh, what we feel and why we feel it, it, you know, do you ever have feelings where if you can't identify the feeling, you'll just feel bad about it? You'll feel bad, oh, yeah. I'm not supposed to feel this, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think that happens a lot in caregiving? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's so much guilt um, and unknowing of of how to do something or when we do something that isn't up to our own standards. Um, we know we can do better, but we don't necessarily know how we can do better, but we want to. I, I think there's a lot of that underlying emotion that goes on. Yeah, so I think part of that is is when we don't, so we are disappointed and we feel guilty because we don't meet our own expectations. The problem with family caregiving is that you have the expectations you have when you are not family caregiving and you've applied them to this situation, right? Mm-hmm. This situation, the caregiving situation, is it follows no pattern. It follow there's no structure. There's no um, there's a little bit of structure, right? But I mean, you it's it's not like you just have an eight to five job and you got to worry about that, right? So what I was finding is that I was making um, goals for myself or ex- expectations for myself that given my current situation are not even realistic because as Mm -hmm. much as we want to believe that we can do it all we can't so I think that go ahead oh I was gonna say and don't you think I mean society builds those standards that we're supposed to be independent and we're supposed to handle it and we're supposed to be strong and you know they have they have this whole list of supposed to's we've been grown up or or or, uh, we've grown up with all these standards and expectations of being perfect being solid not showing emotion um, you know, and and it's just, it doesn't work that way. We need community to get through this and we need to be able to share. So I think, I think on top of our own expectations, there are those community standards or we think they're there. We think people are judging us and then that puts even more pressure on. Do you, do you see that or is it just me? Absolutely, and and what I also don't see is our healthcare system supporting us in a way that we need to be supported. Meaning that sometimes all I need is some affirmation. And if you think about it, like there are absolutely some doctors that are out there that turn to the caregiver and say, "How is this affecting your life?" Right? But there's mm-hmm. so many more that never do. And so by our, you know, like. So we look for what's normal, right? We we want to look for that foundation of what we feel is normal. So we have the dementia, um, you know, what happened yesterday isn't happening today, but it's a little worse, right? So we call mm-hmm. the doctor and he says, yes, this is absolutely just part of dementia, blah, 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 blah. So on some levels, from a disease perspective, we can get enough affirmation to normalize something, right? I think mm-hmm. as a family caregiver, you don't, nothing feels normal. Mm-hmm. And I think you, you're you also trying to get back to a normal, and, and that's never going to happen. Um, I think especially if you start from an acute perspective and move into a chronic, I don't think you ever really make that shift, right, of trying to get back to normal instead of trying to create a new normal, if that makes any sense. Oh, that so makes think, a ton of sense. And I, I think mm-hmm. it's one of those, things in life, again, that we don't talk about, that, that we are constantly changing and we're constantly adapting and we're constantly figuring out our new normal. But when crisis hits, we think it's abnormal to go through this adjustment period when it really, we do it every single day, multiple times a day. We're constantly adjusting. And and so to me, one of the, one of the issues is getting people to understand that you you have the, the that skill set. You're just applying it to a different set of factors to begin with, and right. and I found that that kind of helps calm people down, you know. But we we like you said, the health system and society has set people up for this to be a crisis. Um, it not not a normal part of life, and yet when we talk to people, just about everybody's been touched. 
by some kind of health circumstance that they've had to deal with. Um, uh, dementia alone, it's hard not to find somebody who's not dealing with this. And so we shouldn't be in this abnormal, I'm different mode. We, I'm so grateful to have people like you that want to bring people together and lift them up and empower them to get through this stage of life that they've entered. Mm-hmm. It's hard, you know, like people don't understand, like, I think there's a couple of things I didn't understand. First of all, you constantly have to be present. You, Your mind has to be present. Most sometimes your body has to actually be present. But you, you don't have a minute that you're not thinking about that other person, right? Mm-hmm. You constantly have to be paying attention. And so those minutes that we used to take that were ours, and honestly that I've probably now taken for granted on some levels, um, you know, they're not ours anymore. So so at the same time, there are times that we can do them. It just looks different, right? So mm-hmm. most of the things that I've, I've had, that I've had um, experience come from the stories that I make up in my head, right? So, so for instance, like if I'm assisting my husband, right, I'm an extrovert. Mm-hmm. This is important to understand. I'm an extrovert. He's a complete introvert, right? He mm-hmm. gets really sick in the morning. He gets really sick in the morning. He throws up. He does those kinds of things, right? As an extrovert, I want to run in there. I want to help him. I want to hug him. I want to do whatever I can do. Because here's the really sad part about life is nobody ever uh-huh. teaches you how to watch somebody suffer. Nobody teaches you how to do that. So when you're watching somebody struggle mentally or watching somebody struggle physically or watching people in pain, that's a really hard emotion. It's really hard um, to put that somewhere, right? Like how do you continuously every single day watch them suffer, right? Mm -hmm. So anyway, back to my story. So every day, so when I go in there and I try to help him, all I'm really doing is poking the bear right? So that is really about me. It is really not about him. Would you agree with that? Right? Mm-hmm. So so what I have to do is support him in a way he needs me to support, not the way I think he needs to be supported. So what which that means is that's where the difference between care partner and caregiving comes in. Caregiving, you know, and Tiba talks about it a lot. Caregiving is you're doing to me care partnering is you're actually doing with me. And so from a husband and wife perspective or mate's perspective, we've been doing that our whole life. You said it before. You do have the skills in there. You just have to pull them out. And somebody has to say, you know, this skill that you have, this will be really helpful right here. (laughs) Right? Yeah. So until we understand that those different things happen. So kind of back to my story, the extrovert, introvert. I don't know if you've ever heard of Mel Robbins. Have you ever heard of her? No. I think uh-uh. your listeners should write her down if they haven't. She talks about the five-second rule, and it's something that I've really incorporated into my life. And it's not the five-second rule that says, hey, you drop that donut, you got five seconds to pick it up. It's not that one. <laughs> Although I like that one. That's not it. So I'll just give you a for instance. So do you know how you drive to work or you drive somewhere and you get there and you go, dang, did I stop at that stop sign, right? Mm -hmm. You probably did obviously stop at that stop sign, but you don't remember because it's automatic pilot. Your automatic pilot is what takes over when you're not paying attention, okay? So let's take, so there's actually a a place in your brain. If you right hand, it's um, right hand kind of back above your ear kind of in there, Okay. So I call it the pinky brain. There's a lot more, there's a giant word for it, but let's just call it the pinky brain. So when you're not paying attention, I also call that a knee jerk. Your pinky brain takes over. Back to my husband's scenario, when he doesn't accept my love like I think he should, I get pissy pants, right? Because I'm just trying to help him. What do you need from me? Oh, my goodness, right? So what I've learned is that's about me, much like I just described. So what Mel Robbins talks about is if you go to, in order to go from that pinky brain or that automatic pilot back up to your thinking brain, which is your frontal temporal lobe, it's right on your forehead. 
In order to go from that automatic pilot back up to your thinking brain, the five, four, three, two, one, right? So in my case, what I do is when I hear, when I get up, I set up the bucket, I set up the towel, I set up the juice, right? When I hear him mm-hmm. get up, my five, four, three, two, one is, Jeff, I'm in the sun porch if you need me. That's the kind of help mm-hmm. he needs from me. But I have to be very deliberate in what I tell myself, right, in, in, in how I support him. So, so dementia, this is a great way how this works. Dementia brings a lot of stuff, right? I may kind of be in the trouble, meaning mischief, um, maybe making a mess, all those different kinds of things, right? So instead of saying, oh, mom, what are you doing? Oh, my, oh, 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 right? My 54321 has to be that damn dementia, <laughs> right? Because mm-hmm. if I tell myself a story that mom's really just trying to drive me nuts and trying to make a mess, I swear she does it on purpose because sometimes it looks like that, right? Um, we're going to have a long journey. That's called being at the, at the mercy of that journey instead of being in charge of that journey. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that's probably the biggest thing I learned is, is simply the stories I tell myself. Um, I figured out that I need a fact checker, meaning that, you know, I can't, I can't do all of it in a day, but I had no idea how much I could do. Right. So part yeah. of talking that out to someone you trust and well, frankly, somebody who's earned the right to hear your story. I think that's important um, because everybody has an opinion. And I, I don't need you to tell me what to do. I just need you to listen to me and help me sort it out, right? Um, we see that a lot with families. The person who lives the farthest away has the biggest opinion. Well, one so, of the things that I like that you're you're saying, Chrissy, is really, you know, today's, you know, new mantra is fake news. And it's that inner critic in our head that is is telling incorrect stories where we take it personally Instead of going, it's the disease. And then we're, you know, we think that, oh, they're being manipulative or they're being attacking. And that's not, that's not their intent at all. But we, we make it about us. We make it um, an emotional, you know, kind of an emotional tag on us. And, And when we get in that mode, we really can't give them the care they deserve because we are trying to protect ourselves first because that's what we do as humans. So I love that you're you're kind of that fact checker on the, on the fake news and the inner critic and and getting getting care partners on the correct um message and understanding the disease and also just that basic question to always keep first and foremost you're saying take care of them the way they want to be taken care of. And we don't ask that question so often we just assume this is how I'd like to be taken care of. This is what would bring me comfort. So damn it, it's going to work for you too. But that's not always right? the way. And just exactly. by asking that question and having a conversation and going in as a team, I mean, I just think if we started teaching our, you know, even our preschoolers that mode earlier on, you know, there would that would alleviate so much of the bullying and the not sharing, you know, just getting to understand and respect where everybody's coming from. And as adults, we'd probably need a lot less counseling because we're actually having our own adult conversations, not in a threatening fashion, but in a real authentic, I care and I want to do what's best for you, you know, uh, but how do I do that? Give me some ideas because I think so often the care partners feel that burden of, also trying to fix everything and a lot of the things with dementia is you know they're not they're just not fixable um mm-hmm. you can you can adapt to them but you're never going to get rid of the disease and and the progression per se and so it's it's about how do we how do we both live well with this how do we bring out our abilities or how do we invite others in to help us because that's another space i think um, care partners don't accept help a lot of times. Do you see that as well, where you know they feel the pressures on them to do it um, alone, or they're the only ones? They've given themselves that story. They're the only ones who can um, care for their loved one. Oh yeah, and everybody else is busy. 
So I think the problem with that is I think we go back to everybody's busy. I don't want to impose. I don't, I think, I think that's not truly like the, the biggest problem. I honestly think the biggest problem is we don't know what the hell we need. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't, like, I know I need something, but I have no idea what that is. Right. Mm-hmm. So one of the, <laughs> So I think that's part of the problem. I also think when you were talking, you know, about the kids and, and all that and us as adults, I really think it all comes back to connection. I truly 150% believe it comes right down to connection, always connection. So a person who has dementia, can they connect to the world like they used to? Person, mm-hmm. uh, a caregiver, do they connect to the world like they used to? No. No? So... So so when we talk about purpose and meaning, we talk about sense of belonging, it all comes back to our ability to connect, right? So so let's talk about lack of connection. And I think that has a lot to do with our healthcare system. I think it's the bullying. I think it's the – but just run this past me once. Let's say you and I had this amazing conversation, right? And I see you down at, at um, let's say, the Walmart, right? And I walk past you, and you walk past me, and I swear that you see me, Lori. I swore that you see me, but you didn't connect with me. You didn't say anything. You didn't acknowledge me. Most of us will spend the next 20 minutes trying to figure out what we did to Lori to piss her off, that she's not talking to us. Mm-hmm. Do you, have you experienced this? Oh, yeah. That is that is totally. I mean, we, we get into those those patterns of being offended and making assumptions. And there a lot of times they're a negative assumption. And then we get oh, into yeah. this cycle of just going down the rabbit hole instead of, well, a, you know, cause how many times have we seen, have we been in the same area of somebody and not seen them and not acknowledged them, but we don't think about that, you know, that they're preoccupied or I can be in my own house and I, let's say I'm washing dishes and I'm just kind of in my own space. And I won't hear a family member come up and then I'll scream. I mean, cause I'm just, I'm just in the zone of doing my dishes or in thought. And, you know, I'm, I'm in even a private space without outside clatter and movement and things. And I'm, I'm still, I missed them. You know, I just, I just mm-hmm. missed them. <laughs> and yep. so, but we don't, we don't go there first. We just don't. We don't. We don't. And here's what will happen. I won't connect with you. And the next person I see that's a mutual friend of ours, I will mm-hmm. say, did you see that Lori today? Wow, she's really crabby. Gosh, mm-hmm. I would stay away from her, right? Then that person tells the next person, and then that person tells the next person. By the time that any of those people get to you, what are they expecting you to be? Crabby. crabby. Absolutely. Yep. So, so, but that wasn't what that wasn't at all what that was about. So, I think where we fail is to verify the story. So had I had turned around or met you in the next aisle and say, Lori, I just seen you by the cheese it and you didn't say hi to me and I'm just checking in to make sure everything's okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, holy yep. crap. Think about how much stuff that would really prevent, right? Like totally exactly. prevent. It would it would prevent so so take this the next step with dementia, right? Let's say I'm coming I'm going to a facility. And um, it's the worst day of my particular life in the sense that I'm leaving everything I knew to be normal, natural, familiar, right? So Mm -hmm. I come to this place. I fill out 952 pieces of paper that I really don't know what's happening. Um, The nurse tells my family to go home so they can get me settled, and the nurse takes me to my room, right? At some point in that orientation process for me, I'm going to get stripped down and look for bruises and scratches and all those things, right? Standard operating procedure. However, if I become combative during that because I'm not used to people trying to get my pants off or, you know, I don't know you, I, we haven't formed a formal connection, I don't trust you, right? If I do that when you're trying to do that admission physical and they go out and they write the notes, what's going to be in my nursing notes? Chrissy oh, was combative during personal care. How long did it take me to get rid of that? A very long time. So if every ever. single person, if ever, right? 
So if every single person that reads that comes in and waits for me to be cranky and irritated and mad, right, then I don't really have a big shot at connection, do I? Nope. So we have to be careful on the stories that we're telling people because it forms their opinion. The the media does it to us all the time, right? Depending on who you listen to is who you believe. It's indoctrination. It's the way it is, right? But when we're talking about relationships, you can do some serious damage, right? Because that person who was combative during the admission process probably had the crappiest day of their entire life. Why aren't we giving them a break? Very true. Very true. Very true. So it's all about connection. And I really really think that how you start dictates where you end, right? And as family caregivers, this is hard. And you just want to tell somebody, you know, this, I I wouldn't want to be anywhere else, but this is the hardest thing I've ever done. It's confusing. I'm unsure of myself. I'm all these things. And one of the very freeing things that I've been told is all you can do is the next right thing. That's all you can do. And if Mm -hmm. it doesn't work out, instead of crying, laugh. (laughs) You know, like you've got to tell yourself a different story on some level. That's That's what I believe. But when we look at the professional caregivers that are supporting us, We're not training them on the human experience. Giving me a break because this is my first day and this is an emission physical would be part of understanding the human experience. When you go out and you write in my notes that I'm combative during personal cares, you've now thrown me into a system and, and, and everybody will function around me like a system. Yeah. And that is that is so true. You know, what I love about what you talk about is getting people to accept, even though everyone knows this, that none of us are perfect. And we all fail multiple times during our day. We just don't notice it because we just keep pushing through. But when it comes to caring for another person, I think we feel this, this um, overwhelming sense of responsibility that we can't screw up, we can't fail, we can't be human. And Mm -hmm. realizing that we can't control that, but that we always have another moment. We always have the opportunity, instead of beating ourselves up by, by looking at it as failure, looking at it as, oh, my gosh, lesson learned. Lesson Mm -hmm. learned. What's, what's the lesson in that? How do we improve that? And then instead of trying to recapture or undo what you did, you move forward knowing you have all these opportunities to do better, knowing you're going to screw up again, because we all do. And we're, mm-hmm. we're not, I mean, I, I know my mom was on this journey for 30 years, and there was more, way more than one time I was not a gracious, loving daughter, because I had a lot of other stuff going on, and I did not treat her with the respect and dignity that she deserved, because I was overwhelmed, because I wasn't caring for myself as a care partner, and I, and I took that out on her, you know, when she'd repeat herself 40 times in 10 minutes. It wasn't a game. It wasn't funny. I, I, I have too much to do. I have too much responsibility. And I, you know, and I, I lashed out. I mean, I didn't hit her, but I, but I yelled. I snapped. And then I mm-hmm. felt horrible after that, thinking she did not deserve that. She's not really even the source of my frustration. It was, it was the life I had built because I never... I never let go of anything. I kept taking things on and that finding that new balance in life and that new rhythm means letting Mm -hmm. go of some things um, when we add things on. But we don't do that. We have this superhuman, you know, I'm a I'm a power ranger type mentality that, you know, we can just keep adding and adding and adding instead of knowing that, hey, this this could be the straw that breaks the camel's back. And if I don't Mm -hmm. want to be broken as a care partner, then, then I have to lighten my load in some fashion. If that is through re, restructuring the stories I tell myself, if it's giving myself some respite and the person with dementia, if it's calling, you know, for others to help, if it's professionals or family or friends, um, but knowing that none of us can do this alone, none of us should do this alone. We we I work wanna... much better in community. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think one of the things that Tipa says that totally resonated with me 
is that you cannot sustain the life of someone else who's losing theirs. That's not your mm-hmm. job, right? Yeah. Like, like I think that was a really powerful statement for me because, um, you know, it. <laughs> think about the media ever since forever right like the women bring home the bacon fried up in the pan still make their man happy do you know what I mean it was about doing everything and and I think that we underestimate the magnitude of the caregiving like Mm -hmm. you know it's not like just watching one of the kids or just you know it's it's much different than that in the sense you're you're different emotional connection you know and I see that a lot too if that relationship is already strained before dementia it is not going to get any better after dementia Mm -hmm. you know like I don't think we take into account kind of relationship we have before it ever starts does that make sense Oh, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I can't believe we've been talking so much already. We only have like 25 minutes to go and I, we, we could talk all day long. I, I want to kind of switch gears. I want you to talk about the My Way support guide that you've developed because I just think it's it's um, just a wonderful, wonderful tool for for people. Can you can you tell us about that? Absolutely. So, um, so the whole, so I created the My Way Support Guide and what I call it is um, personal care insurance. And so I built it out of necessity. I built it out of necessity because, um, you know, we, we buy health insurance, we buy life insurance, we buy um, accident insurance, we make wills, we do financial planning, we do all these things. But we don't do one, or advanced healthcare directors, if I didn't say that, but we don't do one single thing that says, if I should need to be supported tomorrow, this is how you do this, right? Like, like mm-hmm. remember when you had the kids, you, you think to yourself, oh, if they only came with a manual, right? Yep. Like, this is your opportunity to actually make a manual or, or have a manual on best, the best way to support me. And I know that sounds kind of weird, but if you think about, um, think about your morning routine. Oh, I know. Think about a shower. <laughs> so one of the things that I put in the My Way Support Guide was, um, so different things. I'll just give you a couple questions so it makes sense. Um, the things I need to be best supported by my healthcare team are, right? So we're dealing with a system-based approach, and if I don't get down and tell them exactly how I need to be supported by them, how can I expect them to do that? So that, that's kind of part one. Um, part two, so then it goes into, um, like morning routines and things like that. So one of the things that I find really interesting is I had no idea that my mom never faces the shower head when she's in the shower. Mm -hmm. No idea. Right. So if my mom gets dementia and I have to support her and I'm giving her a shower, not knowing that she never puts her face in that shower is going to cause a ginormous problem. Ginormous. Don't you think? Oh, well, you know, when you told me this story, it was it was funny because that is something, I, and I've been dealing with this for like ever, that is something I, I never, ever considered. I thought about, is the water too hot, too cold? Does somebody want a tub? Do they want a bath? Do they, all these other things, but I never thought about, Facing the shower, not facing the shower, you know, um, all these other things, but not that. And it was like, oh, my gosh, what a simple fix. Well, and, and think about and, brushing your teeth. Mm-hmm. Like, do you brush your teeth with cold water or do you brush your teeth with warm water? I'm usually cold water, but I, once in a while I'll do warm, but normally cold. Yeah. So, if Lori, if you're supporting me, your history, your if I support you the way you support me, right? Like you're going to mm-hmm. stick a cold toothbrush in my mouth and you're going to mm-hmm. totally launch me because it's going to be very sensitive on my teeth. But we're not going to, we're not going to identify it with cold water. It's going to sound more like, wow, Chrissy was really combative during that time. I mean, what the hell? Right. Yep. <laughs> and all it had to do with, with the temperature in my mouth, like simple, gin- ginormous repercussion. Yeah, and and you know we don't talk about these things. We don't because they're so automatic. But it is so critically important. I remember talking with um, Susan Session, who has since passed, who had dementia, and she she talks about one of the things that people have a tough time with, and that's downsizing. 
And she said what care partners need to understand is that every possession to her was a memory. And she was very mm-hmm. conscious that she was losing her memories. And she sure as heck didn't want people taking her memories, physically taking her memories away. Because those, those things, those objects, they jolted her memory. You know, they, they were a tool for her. And so what she did with her stuff was she wrote on the back of it or the bottom of it when she got it, why she got it, and what, what it means to her. So mm. that other family members could use that and go, oh, wow, this is really precious. I had no idea. I thought it was just a picture. But it was given mm-hmm. to her by such and such. And, you know, it, it, it raises this emotion in her. And now, now I love that picture, too, where before I was ready to toss it. Right. Well, and that's just the thing. I mean, part of our responsibility as care partners is connecting you to the world that you used to know because you can't connect it with anymore. I want somebody to be able to connect me to the world that I love when I can't connect mm-hmm. to it myself. And there's no way that somebody's going to be able to do that if I don't tell them how to do that. Right? Like, yeah. I mean, it, so it's, it's, for me, it's called, it, I, I look at it as the patient's response to person-centered care. So our healthcare system is trying to figure out all the right questions to ask to get all the right answers to support us. This mm-hmm. is me coming with all the answers you need to know to best support me. These are all the answers to the questions you don't know how to ask me. And yeah. if you think about it, I think so part of it that's really exciting for me is that if I come in, if you're my physician and I come in and I hand you this, it will take him less than five minutes to hit the high points and understand who I am. So, therefore, he's connecting with who I am instead of what I have. Our connections change, and it's all about connection. I mean, it's, it's yeah. definitely that, right? So, and you were talking about stuff, like one of the things in there um, that I put in there in the guide was, if I should have to go somewhere, where do I want to go, right? Um if I do have to go somewhere, these are the things I want to bring with me because they're important to me, right? When we get families, if I have to go somewhere, we get families that have conversations like this. Oh, we can't bring that. That'll get lost, sold, and broken, right? But mm-hmm. yet you know it's truly important to me. Who cares? Yep. <laughs> so if I can yep. make a list that says these things are important to me, how much easier would it be on the, on the family? Likewise, if you also understand what scares me about the transition, about leaving my home, imagine how much differently we can support somebody simply by knowing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, it's all about smart living. And so, you know, when we, when we get older, a lot of times we think about, you know, getting our wills in order or when we're going to have children, all of a sudden we think, oh, what if something happens to us, what, what do we want as a plan? This is a good life plan and we don't have discussions. And I think a lot of times with spouses, we think, oh, we know that person, you know, because you're, you're completing each other's sentences and different things. But if you step back and go, how many pet peeves do I have about my spouse that I just let, you know, happen because I don't want to, I don't want to fight and they're not that big of a deal, but you know, and, and the spouse doesn't always know that that's mm-hmm. an irritant, you know, when we fill in the blanks for them and, and different things, you know, that we, we do it our way and they're just letting us do it our way. But as people, you know, with dementia, you know, that might get more important to have it done their way and having those conversations. But we don't, we don't, well, we just don't have meaningful conversations at the depth level that we need if we're truly going to care for one another. And that's one of the things that I love about your My Way Support Guide. It is a, a perfect tool when someone gets first diagnosed. It's really a perfect tool way before somebody gets diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Um, just, it should really go with powers of attorney and healthcare directives and all of that. These these conversations are critically important and and it also, I think, relieves the care partner because, like you said, we don't know what we don't know. We don't know the questions mm-hmm. we should ask because we don't even know that they're askable. We don't, we don't, we don't, you don't know until something blows up that, oh, maybe I could have done something different. But, and right. then you, and then you're in crisis mode. And oh, you know, yeah. doing this, 
again, is smart living and planning ahead to reduce not only the care partner's stress, but the person with dementia or the person that you're caring for. It increases everybody's comfort level, and it increases, like you said, that connection, that relationship, the respect, the dignity. And so many people with dementia talk about, you know, they're worried about their care partners. They see the stress, even if they don't say it verbally, they're still reading all the nonverbals that are going on because their senses are, uh, you know, are enlarged and they say they're more perceptive of that stuff. And so they want it to go easier for their care partners. They talk about that all the time. And, you know, Mm -hmm. one of the easiest ways to do that is just to sit down and have some honest conversations. So, and I think that's one of the things that I like about this guide is that we get, if we start having conversations. So like a couple of my girlfriends sat down and we went to the guide, right? It was so mm-hmm. fun to experience everybody else's idiosyncrasies, right? We have those yep. little things that make us all unique, right? And some yep. of us come with a lot of stuff, <laughs> right? So <laughs> if I was even remotely going to support my girlfriend, I would want directions. Because even though I love her and I've loved her for the last 20 years, I there's stuff I don't know, right? Yeah. So it helps start having those conversations, which I think is awesome because nobody wants to talk about this crap. Everybody's scared of getting it, but nobody wants to talk about it. Um, yeah. So And my I, I truly believe that no good decision comes out of a crisis. So if you do all those things so that you're not caught with your pants down, meaning the health insurance, the life insurance, the advanced directors, all those things, you're still really caught with your pants down when it comes to every single day functionality, right? So like one of the things in the guide is when I'm upset, when I'm mad, the best way to support me is, and I give you two options. Do you want me to talk to you or do you want me to leave you alone? And then there's space for you to get into the details. And that's Mm -hmm. important because if I'm an extrovert, which I am, right, If I'm struggling with something, if I'm mad and you put me in a room by myself, nothing good is coming out of there. Nothing good Mm -hmm. is coming out of there. Now, if you're an introvert, the worst thing I can do is go try to give you a hug. But as an extrovert, that's really what I want to do is just simply give you a hug. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. that's not the best way to support you. So so by understanding how we all rest and restore, what brings us joy, um, how to support me if I'm mad, sad, all those things, right? It can only yep. enhance. Imagine if we started there instead of starting by trying to figure out, okay, what do you usually ask for breakfast, right? Like, mm-hmm. So there's that piece, and then I have a friend who will actually kill me if she hears about this. Um, I'm, I'm sure she's going to listen. Anyway, she's, it's taken her like 20 years to get a good pooping recipe, Mm-hmm. You know, like a good <laughs> concoction of things, right? And so if I don't know her recipe and she's not having her morning routine, she's going to be really cranky. And, like, mm-hmm. where in my head am I ever going to go, oh, well, I don't think she pooped today. Do you know uh-huh. what I mean? <laughs> like, so yep. it's those little things that really can cause a big commotion. And then imagine how many stories I tell myself about all that and how I failed. As a caregiver, yep. when all I did was not know. Yeah, and and we can't know everything. Um, I want to talk about you know your trusted advisory service because I think that that is just a really critical piece that you you offer people as well. So can we switch gears because uh, we've yeah. got about um, ten minutes to go here? I don't have a problem talking. Did you notice that? <laughs> me neither. Me neither. <laughs> Awesome. Well, the trusted advisory service I established because when I'm doing these, I call them experiences. So I'm going to different facilities and um, doing community events and things of that nature. And so um, what I'm finding is that the people who really need me (laughs) are not getting to me, right? So I've developed this trusted advisory service where I come into your home, you invite every player, every stakeholder, right? whoever that is. I don't care if you have 20 people there. What I do is I sit down and I give you like a mini education session. I help you understand what dementia is, why it's happening, how to work with it, and what I have left instead of um, be at the mercy of it, right? 
I also mm-hmm. get to talk about caregiving and all those things. I'll answer all those questions that people don't know how to ask, right? So it really, from for my perspective, what I'm seeing happen is really watching families trying to live through this thing in spite of it, but it's not, it's got them by the short hairs pretty much, right? But when mm-hmm. we take their hand and we turn them around and we give them a different perspective about everything I have left and everything that's still really good and amazing, imagine what kind of journey they get to have. And what I'm finding out is it empowers them to live instead of just mm-hmm. simply survive. Yeah. So it's not an ongoing thing. It's one session. It's um, And then there's, you know, I can do subsequent coaching, but that's not the point. The point is, is to start you out with the tools that you need to understand this. Well, that's, uh, and so many people, I mean, they, they come out of the doctor's office and they're just like deer in headlights and they don't know where to go. And if we can get this um, instituted from the beginning, we will alleviate a lot of stress if we connect people to the resources, tools, and products that they need up front. Um, we're going to mm-hmm. avoid more crisis. We're going to avoid more hospitalizations. We're going to avoid we're going to avoid so many things and help people get on a path to joy and and a and a sense of calmness and empowering everybody to be more relationship based. One of the um one of the things that I I have found through my own personal journey with dementia was it allowed me, um, once I allowed to be open to it, you know, um, but it allowed me to live a deeper life, a richer mm-hmm. life, um, on levels that I didn't even know existed. And, you know, and that's a gift. That's a true mm-hmm. gift to feel that connected. And, and people with dementia um, say that all the time. Um, that they found a purpose in life, you know, to help others through this journey. And care partners can do the same. That This isn't all for nothing, that even though their relationship has changed and they wouldn't wish this disease on anybody, there are some beautiful, beautiful gifts wrapped in this disease. If you mm-hmm. allow yourself to get into, you know, being in that relationship instead of just focusing on tasks, and I think our world has gotten so task oriented. We've given up our relationships for that. Yeah. And it, it, to me, dementia pushes us to kind of that crisis mode of, okay, now you got to choose. What do you want? What do you really want mm-hmm. in life? And, and, you know, I've never heard anybody not say they don't want a relationship. They want to be right. a wife, a husband, a son, a daughter, an aunt, an uncle, a friend, um, who gives good care. They don't want to be this anonymous person giving care that's not connected, just doing mm-hmm. tasks. And I think that's, you know, we get in that mode, and that's where we get burnt out because we're not getting filled. You know, we're, mm-hmm. we're just feeling like we're giving it all away, and that's one of the reasons I don't like the word caregiver. Um, I use it, but I use it to... Um, kind of go down that whole path of words are powerful and caregiver says we're giving it all away. And then we wonder why people get burnt out where, you know, you use that word care partner, care companion, it puts them back in relationship again. It it allows them to give and take and, and receive because we have been marketed by fear that, that Alzheimer's is, is horrible. And granted it, you know, it's up there with cancer. I wouldn't want it either, but you know, that isn't our choice when it hits. And so there can still be good life. You know, you can still have meaningful life, even at very end stages. And I think we've been, you know, first we have this huge stigma that we've been taught that all of dementia is end stages. And we've, the last five years, we're kind of crawling out of that hole, but we still got a long ways to go mm-hmm. um, for people to understand that this can hit anybody. This is, children are getting diagnosed with this, not a ton, but we're seeing more. Um, And, you know, and so this is a, this is a disease that we don't know much about, but what we do know as a society is we do need help and not, not just in the form of a cure, but in form of how do we socially 
and individually accept this and live with it and support others that we love and that we care for dealing with it and and mm-hmm. knowing that we can get something back from that and and your tools you know the my way support guide your trusted advisor service all sets people up to to walk a different path than what we've been taught this has to look like well and you know we only get one shot we only get one mm-hmm. journey and so what you know our our system our healthcare system is exactly that it's a system right um but they're trying really hard to change too and meet us halfway so so along with doing all those things i'm trying on the other side from a professional standpoint um to to help the professional caregivers support our family caregivers in a, in a much different way and the people with dementia right so we don't focus on quality of life so much as as the task orientation. <laughs> so I think what caregiving makes you do is slow down. I think it makes you slow down and go at someone else's pace, and I think that's irritating. Um, but I think it's also a blessing because, like you said, you can. there are so many hidden, valuable, treasured moments. You know, like I took care of my dad. He died 27 years ago. He died of cancer when he was 44, right? And I can tell you that the stories that I tell – are about all the funny things that happened during that six months that he was sick, right? Mm-hmm. That's what my journey was about. When I talk to professional healthcare people, I tell them we have to be responsible to the hearts that we hold. Every single one of us as professionals write a chapter in, in the lives that we support. We all write a chapter. So if we are not cognitively showing up um, in a way that supports um, in a way that fosters a journey of peace and love and and happiness, right, and joy, um, we then are probably creating a chapter that's more like a nightmare that families will live the rest of their life, right? Yeah. So I did hospice. I had a nurse once tell a family member um, that, you know, if you give your mom that medicine, you're going to kill her. And, and, like, you know, hospice, that is so far beyond what is real and true. That's a myth, right? Yeah, But do you know that 13 months after that death, she still, that was her story. Uh, that can't be the story. That's not going to be my story. Yeah. Yeah, it is very important to, to change to change the story and the, the trajectory of, of, of disease and our healthcare system and to get, like you said, get professionals to understand there. We're so separated. You know, when I started professionally speaking, I was told you have to pick a lane, Lori. Are you going to talk to professionals? Are you going to talk with, you know, that are in the trenches? Are you going to talk with doctors and nurses? Are you going to talk with activities? Are you going to talk with families? Are you going to talk with the patients? And, you know, my answer to that was, I'm not going to pick a lane. I am on a freeway where everyone is driving, and we need to get them all going in the same path, following the same rules, you know, and in utilizing the same tools, because they all impact one another. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that we today, to, to this day still make is educating people differently. Granted, the message might have to be delivered differently to different levels and different types of people, but they all still need the same tools. They all still need hope. And um, and they all can share insights, you know, with one another. Those, those, those stories, you know, the, the stories are the things that, that touch people's hearts and make them change. And they're a critical, mm-hmm. critical piece. We have less than a minute left, Chrissy. Is there is there one tip that you'd like to give people? And then I want to give them your contact information here. Um, give yourself a break. And um, breathing. So um, breathing is important. I used to want to throw the flag on the breathing thing. But they call it tactical breathing. The Marines do it. The four, four in, hold for four, four out, hold for four. It's been instrumental in changing things that I've done, and and it's because it brings my my cortisol level down um, to a place where I can manage. Otherwise, it's like I'm being chased by a bear. So that's important. the The next thing is is 
Um, you know, my website is www.embracingjourneys.com, but the My Way Support Guide is www.mywaysupportguide.com. And you can order the guide there. You can order them for your facilities. But most importantly, I have a video out there that you can walk through the whole thing. I walk you through the whole thing, give you ideas, tell you why this is important. Um, and, yeah, so thank you for all that you continue to do. And I'm just going to keep on keeping on. I talk to everyone. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Um, and, again, audience, pass this along. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show. We are the North Star that guides you through the complicated journey of senior care with trusted experts in money, law, living solutions, and more. So join us on this station, your favorite podcast channel, or just go to AnswersForElders.com. Meet the way showers who will help your journey a lot easier.